Good uh, morning, everybody. This is our February 24th, 2022. February the 24th, 2022, episode 55 in our continuing uh, DOLW, Diocese of Lansing Watcher podcast. And we're going to start today uh, with a well-defined problem, and I'm going to attempt to articulate a well-defined solution. And I want to give a shout-out to uh, Teresa, who has, uh, and Bill, who without them I would not have launched off into this direction, made it very clear uh, about what they perceived a need, uh, and I want—I could not, neither of us, Bill, Therese, or I, could do anything without Randy Engel setting, opening our eyes to some things, okay, and, uh, and then Jordan Peterson, he's the guy that says, start with a well-defined problem, articulate a well-defined solution, and uh, we have a tough topic here, and again, I want to thank uh, some people that are locally putting their reputations on the line, their lives on the line, their family, in what I would call a ecclesial disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy. So, I, I, and I've got a, we have our guest here that we keep bringing in, Oscar V. Cruz, rest in peace, say a prayer for his soul, and he taught about Episcopal disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy. And uh, by introducing that topic and began talking about Randy Angle, where she indicates that uh, in volume four, page 861, there is an operation, the operations of the clerical overworld and underworld. One of the consistent themes of this book that is certainly confirmed by this chapter is that the homosexual underworld in the Catholic Church exists because it is protected by a vast clerical overworld that includes but is not limited to the Catholic hierarchy, the bureaucrats of the USCCB, and superiors of religious orders and church officials in Rome, including uh, popes. Well, that's pretty pretty powerful, and uh, not everybody can accept the fact that you can criticize clergy or priests, and they have them, on a pedestal, uh, as if uh, they're impeccable. Not only they're all holy, but they're impeccable. And that image come crashing down in the United States with the problems of the sex abuse brought home in our own parish with uh, the revelations of good priests being sent off to counseling when they report wicked priests. And our priests here are admitting it's reported to us. They're admitting that they've had to endure wicked priests. We have wicked priests that are uh, police reports are brought about them, and we're getting nothing but silence. So we're in this vacuum. So I start off with a well-defined problem. I think it's a lack of disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy and their staff. But can I take that deeper? I think so. I think the articulate, uh, 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 start off with a well-defined problem, lack of knowledge. Maybe that's it. Lack of knowledge about the disciplinary ministry that the church offers. 
I was in my parish, HolyRedeemerBurton.org, Diocese of Lansing, and they now have a fine arts ministry where they show the arts and the, of people up on the wall, you know. And I thought to myself, I'd like to get into that and have a disciplinary ministry collage of the sayings of the Pope Francis or canon law about uh, very unpopular topics, about defrocking priests, about this disciplinary ministry. And I thought to myself, that'll never happen. They will never allow that. <clears throat> and then, so I thought to myself, again, start with a well-defined problem, lack of disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff at the level of the diocese, Episcopal, that's your bishop, Episcopacy. But I thought to myself, well, Maybe the problem is lack of knowledge, or maybe the problem is lack of acceptance that it is legitimate to have a disciplinary ministry on clergy. Maybe there's a lack of knowledge, lack of acceptance that there is a legitimacy to have disciplinary ministry on the clergy and their staff in the mindset of the church. The idea that... Uh, uh, that, like in the Vatican, to me, the Vatican has police and they have jails. This is in the heart of the church. They have, uh, not only that, they have an army. The Swiss Guard, we think of them, there is a distinction between the military that the church has, the Vatican state, the Vatican has shrunk. It used to be larger than what it is, but they have, in the governance of the church at the Vatican, a distinct rank in law enforcement, police, and a distinct rank in military enforcement. You have the Swiss Guard. So I thought to myself, well, they have jails. We've just read in the last couple of years about the uh, prosecution of Vatican employees for leaking documents. And we saw the workings of that. And I thought, to me, that's pretty clear that there is an acceptance of a discipline. But then again, I start with a well-defined problem. I'm not certain what the problem is. So, and then because I want to articulate a well-defined solution. So I'm going to try for this purpose. And I invite you, you listeners to let me know if I hit the nail on the head, if there's a better way to define the problem. But I start with Archbishop Oscar V. Cruz, who gave us the gift of this concept and a book, Episcopal Disciplinary Ministry on Errant Members of the Clergy. And that was just a thin slice. Uh, he died of COVID about a year ago. So we'll pray for the repose of his soul. Oh, Lord, grant it, give, unto it, uh, give unto your servant, Archbishop Oscar V. Cruz, my friend and the friend of so many, eternal rest. Grant him and his family and his staff and all that come, his, his collaborators, but also his enemies. Grant them the light of Christ. Grant them eternal peace. And we just thank him so much. And thank you, God, for creating such a man, such an intellect as this. He's a Filipino. Uh, he participated uh, at all levels of the church court. And we just thank you. So, I want to ask that you all pray for me as we start off with a well-defined problem. 
the lack of a disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. I think that's it. I think that's the most broadest bedrock. There is no uh, disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff from the point of view of a layperson at a very low level in the church. Okay? And those are the people that are at the parish level and beyond. And there's a lot of uh, what we experience. Our experiential knowledge of what the church is uh, for me, for Therese, Bill, for the hungry and homeless that we've worked with, for John, for those who, uh, for Heather, those who are considered the lepers, those who are considered not beautiful people, and what is considered not insiders. Our pastors went so far as to put up, we've got pictures of this, up on the board, those who are inside, and those who are all the way on the inside, which creates psychological we-they distinction. You know, in order to get inside, you have to do certain things. And ta-da, it has to do with money and contributions. Start with a well-defined problem, articulate a well-defined solution. Well, I got the problem in my mind. Lack of a disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. Probably just coming in a close second or even competing for first place would be lack of knowledge of a disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. Or even lack of acceptance of the legitimacy of disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. So, be kind of bold on my part to try to discuss these and say, hey, let me give you my mindset on this. Well, I think I want to start off with what I can offer you is the mindset of the church, the formamentus on the mindset of the church, the anatomy of the church. And if we have this basic, if we call this something about anatomy 101 on the church, we start with God. We start with our Father. God, and I'm launching into a background to sort of describe the circumstances that we live in, the historical circumstances of where we're at, a reality, okay, the reality uh, that those who have gone before us in the Catholic Church accepted. So let's start off with God exists. Jordan Peterson, very good intellect, would not even start with that. He would start with, he would fine-tune that so that he could reach non-believers. So I, I don't know how to do that, but I'm going, to, my premise is, and this focuses on Catholics, but they're beneficiaries. These, the concept of, of justice and protecting innocence, it, it goes I think this is goes the world over. Uh, so darkness, dispersing darkness, you disperse darkness one place, it helps everybody. So let's start off with, I'm going to presume that you're believers, but you don't have to be. How about that? God exists. What's the first thing we can do, uh, we can say about, when, from the point of view of what we know about God, God's first act that we're able to perceive. You know, you're looking at God. What's the first act that you and I can perceive and my understanding from going to the church? Not my opinion, 
But if you go to the church, philosophers like Thomas Aquinas, I don't know anybody that disagrees with them. The first act that we can observe about God, going right back to Genesis, is God created. In fact, Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, will even give us that much in the myth. He'll say the mythology of Christianity. God creates. Now, what can we say about that act of creation? God, again, from Jordan Peterson, from a non-believer's point of view, God speaks truth to that creation. And his truth disperses darkness. Let there be light, God says. God's speaking his word, his word. God's word is truth. He speaks truth to the darkness and says, let there be light. And there is light and darkness is dispersed. God then again speaks and says, uh, begins to talk about order and disperses chaos. Do you remember the days are beginning to order? It becomes ordered. Remember in the beginning there was darkness and chaos and God introduced light and order. Now remember we can say things about God that we understand. There is this God. As Christians, we believe there's three persons in God. The God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All right? For our purposes to understand, there are functions. These minds, the Christian minds, would say, I think Thomas Aquinas is one, that from the Godhead, we'll take God the Father, there is a diffusion. There is a diffusion, a progression from God. One is, and I'm not using precise philosophical terms, but one is uh, the diffusion of truth. You know that as Jesus Christ. It comes from the operative effects of God's intellect. Our Father has an intellect, and its operative mode, the object of that intellect, is truth. And as God's intellect is so powerful, his thinking process, for our purposes, it's an, it's repres- it creates another being, but it's uncreated. But our purposes, you see, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a diffusion from that Godhead into our reality called truth. There's a second operative effect from the nature of God, God's essence, his nature, and that is his charity, his love coming from the will, a diffusion from his will. So powerful between the father and the son, another being is created, but it's not created, it's uncreated. And they don't know quite how to say it. I'm calling it a diffusion, but it's actually called spiration. But that's a philosophical term. But from the Godhead, we have an operation of knowing that diffuses truth, Jesus Christ. From the Godhead, we have an operation between the Father and the Son known as charity, as loving. It's the operation of the will. And that is cause spiration of the Holy Spirit, the love of God.
You follow that? So when we're talking about God, God creates, he speaks truth. Our Father speaks truth to this chaos and this darkness, and it's dispersed. So this is in Genesis. And Jordan Peterson looks at that and says, you know, see there, there's some very powerful psychological meaning to speaking truth. And he concludes, this is a psychologist, from a non-Christian point of view, you know, you want in your lives to speak truth. If you can't speak truth, don't lie. And then you want to then also clean your room in a roundabout way, saying, begin to order your life. You see that? Okay, so let's get beyond this concept to the next concept that God creates, and then guess what we can say? There's distinctions in creation and creatures. There's both man, what we are, and there's angels. There's two types of beings, and we'll get into that. And then what else can we say? The next thing when we look at God is God is conserving his creation. It's called the conservation of what he created because he said it was all good. Do you remember that Garden of Eden? So he conserves his, his creative, his creatures and his creation. And he governs these things. The angels were governing. So there's conservation and there's government. You follow that? Let me do a parens where we're going at with this, okay? The bishops in the United States have a government function and uh, every one of them in the United States and the territories, it's my understanding they've officially said to you and I, hey, if you see clergy and staff do, doing wrong, call 911. They've delegated to the laity a governmental function to make safe, to keep safe. It's an essential function. So just so that you know what we're talking about, that it gets back to God's concept of conserving and uh, governing. Already, when the bishop says, call 911, and you'll see it on the diocesan website, you'll see it uh, signs in some of the parishes uh, in our Diocese of Lansing, and also in the websites. They're supposed to have that there, call 911. So the clergy in the act of delegating to 911, that's you and I. We are the ones that are, that are the dispatchers at the 911 center. We are the law enforcement. We are the prosecutors, the judges, and the lawyers. All right? The laity. They're saying, and my governmental function, I'm delegating to you, laity, the protection that's so needed. I can't provide it without your help. It's another way to say that, remember, you get back to God the Father, creation, the Trinity, and they're trying to conserve what they created and govern that. And we have Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ that is acting through the ordained, and now Jesus Christ is acting through you and I, laity, in our governmental functions, and we have the ordained asking for help in governance. Right there, I'm hoping to speak to some of you who have a difficult time approaching criticizing clergy or speaking about clergy, thinking it's gossip, 
or that you have hatred on your heart or you're shaming them. You know, I want to suggest to you, those are temptations and there's a deception going on. We'll talk about that. This is my opinion, but I, the hard facts are you've been asked to call 911. There's a lot that we can unbundle there, but let me go on. We're talking about a st start with a well-defined problem, lack of disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. Articulate a well-defined solution. I would say the solution would be to bring about an awareness of the need for disciplinary ministry, knowledge of it, knowledge of its legitimacy, and an invitation by both God and the ordained, God and his church, inviting you in to that disciplinary ministry. You don't hear a lot of that, a lot of talk, you know. And so what can we offer as watcher communities, okay? Well, let me just take from uh, 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, this is in uh, universe. This is in the uh, the morning prayer, which is the breviary of the, the official prayer of the church, liturgy of the hours, liturgy of the office. I read: Each one of you has received a special grace, so like good stewards responsible for all these different graces of God, put yourselves at the service of others. If you are a speaker, speak in words which seem to come from God. If you are a helper, help as though every action was done at God's orders so that in everything God may receive the glory through Jesus Christ. Since to him alone belong all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What can we offer? If it's Jesus Christ that has the glory and power and it's just one shepherd, you Google this, there's only one shepherd and there's only one priesthood. And the priest at the altar offering Mass is participating in that one priesthood of Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you that priesthood has three functions. Uh, to teach, to sanctify, and to govern. And there are multiple evidences to indicate that you as laity are being invited in to that teaching, sanctifying, governing function. We'll talk about that. But that doesn't mean you're going to be at the altar. If I believe if you get this truth out, it will actually take away the pressure for women who want to be priests ordained at the altar. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ who is sharing his priesthood, shares it with all the Christian faithful, and in the beginning of the church, they were called disciples of Christ. And you see our Bishop Boyer talking about in terms of disciples. He's going to that. He knows what he's talking about, disciples. Now, I got a caveat. Some people say it's bad bishop. Some people say we have a diocesan cesspool, diocese that's a cesspool. Hey, we're from Flint. We're used to being with bad people who don't purify the water. We're used to being living in water that's not even a cesspool type water that can really harm people and you know what we overcome that we look at what peter says each one of you has received special graces i'll repeat it we ride for the caramel brand we have an ability to evoke charity in the hearts of others in our bishop let me do a parent so that you understand 
that there are alternatives to doing media. Some people are coming to us, they're shy. They don't want to do media. I'm not trashing media. Let me underline this. I'm not trashing media. I'm giving you an alternative. Some people don't want to go to media. Some people don't want to go to the civil attorney and do lawsuits, okay? Going to the media and doing lawsuits are absolutely legitimate and are encouraged. I think Father John Harden did uh, an entire teaching about, I think we would call it citizen journalism and media. I forgot. He, uh, there was a term for it. We're from Michigan. He was from Michigan. I'm not, under, I'm not at all diminishing the importance of media or lawsuits. What I am saying is there are people who are coming to us in the watcher community and want to do something and see their alternatives limited. And we're inviting them there to consider that you've received a special grace. So like good stewards responsible for all these different graces of God, put yourselves at the service of others. If you are a speaker, speak in words which seem to come from God. If you are a helper, help as though every action was done at God's orders, so that in everything God may receive the glory through Jesus Christ, since to him alone belong all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So I share that with you and say, we have an affidavit ministry. People see things. They're witnesses. And they're witnesses to bad things. They're witnesses to imperfect things and you know the church has a grievance system there they also witness to poor quality control let me summarize what they witness i'm gonna summarize this they witness i would call it church corruption but that's too strong of a term right now they witness the destruction of catholic community and community in general by clergy and staff and they witness the destruction of Catholic doctrine by clergy and staff or the power that clergy and staff uh, have over the community. So let me repeat that. The clergy lobbies and the staff lobbies in the church destroys doctrine and people. They destroy doctrine and community. And I want to repeat that, destroy doctrine and people. They see that and they don't know what to do. We believe the answer would be a more uh, vibrant and robust disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. And that can speak to itself through affidavits, through letters, through administrative recourse. The church has all that. But that was my diversion. L let me continue, okay? And... and that's what we offer as a watcher community. But let me say to the, a message to the, to the priest, you know, will you stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are, clergy? I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. And then we have Pope Francis telling us, bother your bishops. That's you and I, the laity, bother your bishops. So they get body your pastors, not just bishops. So they give you the, the doctrine. They, they give you goodness, doctrine, grace, good governance. Now, I had the quote here, and, and it comes up many, many different ways, but I can't put my finger on it right now. But you Google Pope Francis and bother your pastors, and you'll see that. 
Okay, let's continue. And keep in mind that a shepherd must tend his flock and at all times fight off the wolves. The problem is we have some powerful shepherds, bishops, and they have protections that will loom stronger and provide many with immunity. Again, disciplinary ministry, excuse me, disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy will help. We just talked about God. Let me suggest to you now I want to go from God, creation, governance, and, per, and uh, conserving what he, he, he conserves all that is good. That means he conserves true, uh, conserves truth. He conserves goodness. And he, and in the beginning, in, in Garden of Eden, it was called, uh, it was called the, uh, before the fall, an original sin, it was called original justice. All was ordered to the will of the Father. Not his ears. Not his, you know, it was the will of the Father. Keep that in mind. That's what original justice was. All the angels lined up. Adam and Eve, before the fall, they lined up. And then original sin entered. And they were in the Garden of Eden. They were in a walled community, in a Garden of Eden. We think of it as a walled community. You think of that. Because many of our parishes, our own parish, I would say, is a nest. Google Pope Francis and nesting. That's not what you're supposed to do. We know that because we go back to the Garden of Eden. And there was the fall as the result of the snake. What did the snake do? The snake's representing Satan and he deceived. The principal action of Satan is deception. He deceived and they fell. And what happened? Well, God come and, and God, remember, presents himself as all good, all true, all just. And the very presence of truth, goodness, and justice toward in the, in the very presence shamed our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's why they were naked and they were hiding with the fig, fig leaf. They were sh- ashamed. So some people say, well, you can't shame. Our father does. Not only that, his very presence. When you present truth with your affidavits, when you're a witness to truth, the destruction of community, the shredding of Catholic doctrine, that's going to shame people. You know, oh, oh, well, now this is my friends on it, you know, go to the father. And Jesus says, I come to do the will of the father. Remember that. That the Father's very presence to our parents, Adam and Eve, shame them. Truth will shame. Okay? That's not being hateful. Oftentimes, psychologically, there, uh, they, there are negative emotions. The psychologists have, have categorized negative emotions and positive emotions. You shouldn't be angry. You should be loving what they're saying is, and you'll hear it, they'll say, uh, the priests will say in our diocese, don't shame people. Well, our father did. And they'll say, you know, the, uh, the prayers of the faithful, oh, we pray for all those who have hatred on their heart. Well, hatred for what? You know, that it might not be hatred. It could be justified wrath. It, more importantly, it could be disgust. So the psychologists have, have, they're playing on psychology when you hear that, and they should be more precise. They have master's degrees, at least. Every priest in the United States has supposed to have a master's degree. They can speak with precision. 
and they should say, you know, uh, they should speak more precisely when they say we pray for those who have hatred on their heart. Well, I'm supposed to hate Satan. I can't abuse Satan. I'm supposed to hate injustice. I'm supposed to hate the death of innocence. Not only that, if you don't want to say in terms, and I've got anger, they'll call us all kinds of things. How do you know it's anger? It might be disgust. When disgust is a positive, you know, the mapping of your psychologists map things out, and they have this positive, positive uh, uh, emotion called disgust. When do you see it? You because it, it goes way, it, it would disgust when it hits in, your nostrils close, your esophagus starts to tighten up. If you come across a, a decay, so listen, this is an adult moment here. Come across a decaying body full of flies in the woods or a cop, you talk to some of the law enforcement, they experience that when people die of natural causes or suicide. It's not a pretty sight. Disgust and their nostrils will close up and they'll yell, ah, shriek. You know, that's happened in our jurisdiction here in Flint. So I just share with you the idea that when they when they left the, the when there was sin and they were cast out, they were ashamed. They left the Garden of Eden. It was no longer a walled community that protected them. How were they protected? God protected them with virtue. That's how we're protected today. That's it's it's virtue that will protect you from Satan, from the devils, from the world that you're now in. It's uh, you carry like a turtle your little monastery on your back. You're no longer in the Garden of Eden. Some people want to go back to the Garden of Eden. Well, oh, happy fault that we were thrust from the Garden of Eden because that brought us a redeemer. So we have phase one creation. We have phase two, redemption. The church has gathered all the teachings of Jesus Christ. This is Anatomy 101. This is the foundation to support a well-defined problem, lack of disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. Articulate a well-defined solution. I want to disperse the fear that you have of disciplinary ministry over clergy and staff. Let's go back to Satan. I'm going to I'm going this like triplicate threes if I have if I have to. All right. Remember, he deceived. What are the what uh, what do what what does the church teach through John of the Cross? I ride for the Carmel brand. John of the Cross is at the apex of theology, mystical theology. We'll get into that later on. Theology has what to believe. That is, I think, uh, it's the doctrine. I forgot the name of it right now. Moral theology. So what to believe, how to act, moral theology, and how to perfect one's actions. That's spiritual theology. And there's two divisions. The ascetical theology, that's the negative approach to God. And then there's the mystical theology, the positive approach to God. So you can approach God without any, the negative way, God's not this, this, this. Dogmatic theology, that's it. So there's, they've t the church has taken uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ and divided them, put them in three categories. You can have seven categories, but this is the simplest. What to believe? Dogmatic theology. How to act? Moral theology. How to perfect one's actions? 
spiritual theology, ascetical and mystical. All right, you got that? Now, what does the guy that's at the, uh, the, the doctor of the church, John of the Cross, teach? Who it was under his guidance, Teresa of Avila re, uh, uh, reached her uh, some of the heights where she had the mystical marriage. He says that Satan's going to have principally going to be a deceiver. And he's going to work on your four passions. He's motivated by jealousy. He's not happy. He had nothing. He doesn't think about you. He wants to get back at the Father for casting him, well, for being cast from the Father's love. He can't. He's. He's. He. He doesn't want. He. He has no capacity. He's lost the ability to be happy. Motivated to hurt you and me just to get back at the Father. So he will deceive four fashions: fear, sorrow, hope, and joy. You're to fear only the loss of God, hope only in God, take sorrow in the loss of God. Fear, sorrow, hope, and joy only in God. But Satan comes along, and that which is good, he will cloak with evil, so you'll be repelled from it. That's a deception. I think, this is me, I think he's done that with his disciplinary ministry on errant members of the clergy and staff. People fear that because they just can't wrap their heads around it. I think Pope Francis would say that's clericalism. That's an abuse of authority. Look up how Francis talks about clericalism and an abuse of authority because they don't teach about this. Why am I a lay person spending my time teaching this? Because they don't. So Satan will take that which is good and cloak it with evil and you'll be repelled. My argument, this is my argument now, that's disciplinary ministry on errant clergy and staff. That's your affidavits. That's your challenging the destruction of Catholic doctrine and the destruction, the shredding of our community and people, destroying people. Francis talks about it, talks about cold shouldering. Francis tells you to bother your bishops, bother your pastors. You don't hear about that because they filter Francis. Shame on them. Let's get back. The teachings of Jesus Christ are divided for our purposes three ways. What to believe, how to act, how to perfect one's actions. We now know that uh, there's three offices. The church has the church has an anatomy, okay? It has three. It's called uh, church offices, the teaching office, the sanctifying office, and the governing office. You participate... You are considered, there's only one priest, one shepherd, and that's Jesus Christ. And through your baptism, you participate in those three offices. Teaching, okay, sanctifying, and governing. It's not, Jesus does not work exclusively with the ordained. You know, keep that in mind. Now, that doesn't mean we go up and we can say Mass and we're going to go from, uh, we're going to be able to take the bread and the wine at Mass with an admixture of water. That's you. That water goes into that wine. That's you. That we take, that's the Christian faithful. And the priest working with Jesus Christ, in persona Christi, Christ at that moment of trans. Uh, uh, transubstantiation, not transsignification, where it's a significant event based upon the people's belief. No, it's transubstantiation based upon the actions of the one priest.
Jesus Christ. And that body and blood becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Guess what? You go to communion. The, the priest gives you the body of, of Christ, gives you the blood. That's the same body and blood the priest receives, That's the, that he received. That's the same body and blood that Jesus received from Mary, a laywoman. Did you ever think about that? That's how powerful, how powerful it is. And that's the complete circle. That's the communal, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-O. We are children of God. We are called to participate in God. We are then called, as we go up the mountain of perfection, gods by participation, not by essence. And our operations are equal in dignity to those. All of us are equal in dignity. And you'll see that in your baptism. You know, you can baptize. Lay persons can baptize. Google Archdiocese our Diocese of Arizona, and there was a disciplinary ministry on a priest who was baptizing for years as we, meaning him and the community, we baptize you. And those baptisms were invalid on his words. He was supposed to say, I baptize you. I baptize you. You know who the I is? That's Jesus Christ. It's not the priest. It's Jesus Christ. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And do you know that in the absence of a priest, or we do with the homeless, uh, your children, your grandchildren, and I've been in there, I've done that with death and dying where there are infectious diseases where the priests don't want to come around. You're allowed to baptize. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're allowed to do that, and you're incorporating them. It's Jesus that's acting through you. That act of baptism, you ask your priest, I don't want you to rely on me. Can I baptize? As a Christian, as a Catholic, can I baptize? Under what conditions am I restricted from baptizing? Under what conditions can I baptize? And I think you're going to find out. And do I have the discretion to choose when? You do. You have the discretion on TPM, but not the words. It's going to be I, because you're acting in persona Christi in that baptism. Just like they act in persona Christi at the mass when they change the the uh, uh, the bread and wine into the body and blood, so powerful is this this act that Jesus has is that it's Jesus that but he listens to the priest. It's a different point in the mass during the Roman rite versus the uh, I think it's the Greek rite. We're still it's still the uh, Catholic Roman Catholic Church, but we have different rites, and Jesus appears at different points. I think it's called the Epiclesius, but. Uh, <clears throat> because what's bound in on on earth is bound in heaven they have the priesthood has discerned they express their beliefs that's what math liturgy is we're expressing our beliefs in action of worship so we have a sometimes you'll have by uh by right right priest they can they know how they can pre, they can say masses in the roman catholic rite and they can say masses in the uh say the uh, greek rite or the Ukrainian right. They're still Catholic. That's in a parens on that. So let me continue. The deception. I suggest this is argument. When you look at the anatomy of the church, when you look at what your father's trying to do, he's trying to govern and conserve goodness and truth. It's obvious that you're allowed to do good and tell the truth. 
it's obvious that you're not shaming when you show up with truth. If they're ashamed, they should be ashamed. It's obvious when you prevent the destruction of doctrine and the destruction of people that you're helping our Father conserve His creation. You're helping the government of things of this order creation that belongs to God when you order things to the will of the Father. That's your job. You see that? All right, let me go further now. And I invite criticism here. Uh, and uh, I don't even care if you fall asleep on this, this tape. I'm not offended by it. Let me continue. We want to awaken love. We offer people a voice. You know, you are sustainers and bearers of decency. What opposes that? I think the lack of disciplinary ministry on clergy and staff. They're like, uh, they're like those girls gone wild. There's some uh, uh, books and videos on that. And what happens that we're fighting right now above all the culture of omerta, which omerta, O-M-E-R-T-A, which privileges clerical privacy over lay distress. It's got to change and quickly. I think that's sum and substance of Pope Francis. Okay, keep that in mind. So what has been, what has been taken off? When you read John of the Cross, the trees of Avila, there's furniture on their map. They had a map of knowledge. Let me summarize this, and I can go into it deeper if people want that. But John Paul II talked about it in the George Weigel's book about the autobiography of John Paul II about the, the, the Descartes, the Cartesian Revolution. I'm going to use a big term now, anthropomorphic. I forgot how it goes, but anthropomorphic uh, inversion. We now are looking at studying our navel. We're looking at ourselves. That's my spin on it. Let me try to put some of the furniture, some of the thought processes back on your map. Let me suggest to you why it is catastrophic. Because there are daggers pointed at the heart of the church. Rationalism, secularism, fascism, communism. They uh, uh, are... are uh, they're not godly. They're atheistic. So think about <coughs> how, how do I? So bad is this is that uh, there's a story. I'm going to try to do it and I'll do it better in a follow up. Uh, maybe 56 if, if, if there's a request. So you're you're in uh, before the Soviet Union fell. We're in Moscow. <coughs> we're getting a tour and there's a, a, one of those uh, maps they're on an official map, just like you would see in a state park in Michigan. Sometimes there's maps, bronze maps or whatever. So you got this map of the, of the city, <clears throat> and you have a tour guide. She's a college student working with the foreigners. In this case, it's the Americans. She's working with you, and she's going to take us around. Uh, tour, tour. She's making some extra money. She speaks perfect English. Let's assume that she's very moral. She's a virgin. Let's assume that she is patient, and she, but she doesn't believe in God. She's never been exposed to God, and all she knows about reality is what she's been told by the Communist Party, one of these isms. And remember, let me do a parens on this, folks. We are about a voice. We simply want a voice, and they can't take the competition. 
Our parish priest does not want us to have a voice, does not want us talking to the staff, does not want us competing with his vision. If you dialogue with him, you know, he sees that as a, you can't challenge his vision or criticize his decisions. You, you are bad. So look at this map. And we would say that's, that's what's going on in the church. So you got this nice person. Gonna be, she's a great tour guide. And she's showing us this map. And she's telling us where we're going to go at. And over her shoulder, you and I can see the steeples of an enormous cathedral. Basilica Church. Huge. We look at the map. And on the map, there's no church. But over her shoulder, we can see the church. We experience it with her eyes. We hear the bells go off. We can see the church. We look to her. We look there. We look and we're looking at each other. And she's very polite, though. And we don't, you know, we want to say we want we're getting ready to go on a tour. And we say, hey, on your map, where is the church? She says to you very innocently, what church? And you say, your map, there's no church. She says, well, what do you mean? What church? There's no churches here in Moscow. In a tour of Moscow. And your, your, your jaws drop. You looking over her shoulder at a church. And you're thinking, oh my God. Now she's not malice, malicious at all. Now remember, a lot of this can apply to your staff. She's looking at that, at that map and she looks back at you. There's no church on the map. And they say, but I see one. She says, where? She's excited. Where? She looks back at the map. You're looking over her shoulder at reality. She's looking at the map. She says, where? Because she wants to learn. That's why she's doing this, working with English, practicing English with the Americans. And you say, it's not on your map, but over your shoulder. And she says, where? She turns around and looks. And they say that. We say, there, there. See that steeple with that big cross? And she says, really, it, not in, in a bad way. She says, oh, she says, that's not a church. That's a museum. Let me let that thing sink in. Oh, young person, that's not a church. That's a museum. Well, what are museums? She's, that's, she only knows what she was taught. She was taught that was a museum. Museums are where dead things are that gather dust unless they're cared for. That's all church meant to her. It was a dead thing in a museum that gathered dust and was perhaps at best a historical relic, relic. It wasn't. Other than that, that's her shrunken idea of reality. So let me take you to other another map and you have to ask yourself what is taken off your map of knowledge what is it that John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila had on their map before Descartes before the, 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 the manipulation destruction of your map that John Paul II the great Saint John Paul II talked about I'll live I'll, first of all let me talk to you about this and I may I only got a few minutes left. I can only go do 60 minutes on these. I don't know why, but all right. While traditional wisdom had always presented the world as three-dimensional structure, as a three-dimensional structure as symbolized by the cross, 
where it was not only meaningful but essential to distinguish always and everywhere between higher and lower things and levels of being. The new thinking strove with determination, not to say fanaticism, to get rid of the vertical dimension. How could one obtain clear and precise ideas about such qualitative notions as higher and lower? Was it not reason's most urgent task to replace them with quantitative measures? And that's exactly what you see with our parish and our parish priest. Everything is quantitative, not qualitative. As long as he can keep people in there, as long as he can bring money in, he's untouchable. Okay, this is it. And the cross is taken out of the church. I'm going to come back to that, but I have to get these concepts out there because I introduced them. So, uh, so that's the first concept about the cross. How powerful it is it's the vertical? That the vertical horizontal is like horizon. Think of horizon where the sun sets on the horizon. That's horizontal. Vertical is up and down like a ladder going to heaven. Are you with me? Okay. Now, what are some of the other things taken off the, the your your map of knowledge? It's levels of being. There's levels of being, and they knew this. They knew this. The, uh, the, the peasants knew this in the 1500s. But, uh, okay, so you could observe this. So you the first level of being is minerals rock the next level of being is plant plants the next level of being is animals and then you have man they could see this they could see this a mineral a rock is a rock it is matter what is the next level above matter it's a plant a plant has matter but it has life life is is represented by movement in that plant it grows the net, what's above the plant? Well, a horse, an animal. It has matter, it has life, but it has something else called consciousness. You can call it anything you want, call it C. How do we know? Because if you hit it in the head, it becomes unconscious. It's not dead, but you hit it in the right spot hard enough, the, the horse becomes unconscious, but not dead. The lack of those two states we call consciousness. And what's above the animal? Hierarchically speaking, man. Man has a soul. With something more than an animal that you can observe. You can see there's something, you know, we're a little less than the angels and uh, just above the beasts. That's the levels of being. And you've got to understand that because uh, we'll get back to uh, the vertical. We'll get back to the levels of being on another one if, if, if I get a, a go-ahead from uh, my canaries in the coal mine, Teresa. Now there's progressions from passivity to activity. Okay. Radioactive materials passive. There's a shift as you go up the levels. I, I don't know what, why I threw that in there, but as you go up the levels of being, do you notice how rock is passive? But as you go up to man and angels are most active. What do they do? Their activities knowing and loving. And what distinguishes the nine choirs? Their capacity to serve. Capacity for knowing and loving. Passivity to activity from minerals to you. That is a motivation from natural law to think about disciplinary ministry. Think about ordering things to God, helping him conserve the church, conserve goodness and truth. What's the next? All right, I'm going to go to this next one here. Four fields of knowledge. Okay, I want you to think about it. Uh, 
the I and the world, outer appearance and inner experience. I and the world, outer appearance and inner experience. We obtain four combinations which can indicate thus. One, inner world, the I. Two, the outer world, the world, you. Uh, your inner world, and three, the outer world outside of you, and four, the world you outer. I haven't made that clear, but there are four fields of knowledge. What is really going on in my own inner world, what is going on in the inner world of other beings, what do I look like in the eyes of other beings, what do I actually observe in the world around me? Now, I'm going to have to clear that up because uh, I'm rushed here. But I wanted to let you know that. So get in the mindset of your bishop and your clergy and you'll start to spot things. You'll start to see what's going around around you. And you'll actually observe the world around you and how you can help your father. Again, I'm laying the foundation for the argument that we need more disciplinary ministry, not less. That it's legitimate. That you see that as something not from God. You may not have a call from it, but you see it as not legitimate to discipline clergy and staff uh, and that may mean shaming. I th I would argue. Now this is Mike. This is me. I would argue that you're being deceived by Satan. This is you could say it's not for me. That's fine. But to say it's not legitimate that I can't do it, Teresa can't do it. That's wrong. So I'm going to kind of introduce you to <coughs> my little. I'm going to introduce you to exactly what our clergy do. Okay. This is Mini Mike. So they always say we're collaborative and we talked and our parish priest talks to all his people and gets an independent thing and says, we've decided what's good for the parish. Well, Mike, is if what I said is good for the parish, can you say that? Mike, is it good? I couldn't agree with you more completely. And Mike, do we need to get more of this information out? Oh yeah, I'm behind you all the way. And little Mike, I want to tell you, are we doing good when we help Teresa and others do affidavits? I'm sure whatever you're thinking is correct. Well, there you go. There's my my little discussion with my little parish council, my finance council. I totally control Mike. He's never going to disagree with me. Watch for that. You're needed. Amen. All right, I've got to. I got to conclude. This is a very intimidating topic for me and for others. Disciplinary ministry. It's out there. Think about it. And I want to encourage those who have have family working against you, you know. Stay the course. You're called to help the church, help Jesus Christ, help the Father govern. You have a baptism. Jesus is participating in you. And you want to tell the clergy and others, don't talk to me about your weed killer. Talk to me about my crabgrass. I got crabgrass. That's oftentimes what they want to do. They just want to talk about weed killer. Not about your crabgrass. Crabgrass, wicked clergy. They don't want to talk about it. I, I experienced wicked clergy, Bishop. What are you going to do about that? I don't know more. I want to know more about disciplinary ministry. What are you going to do about that darkness there? Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Mount Carmel, pray for us. St. Joseph, protect us. Guide us as you guide and protect Carmel. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.